Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. Lance, how are you today? Doing excellent. How are you? I'm doing well. Today, we have a pretty fun conversation with a friend and a blogger named Aurelia, who has been writing about the Maura Murray case for a while now. Yeah, I I feel like once a month, we reach out and we say, hey, we got to have you on the show. Let's schedule it. And then something comes up and and we have to keep bumping her back. Uh, but we finally got her on. And it's a yeah, it's a really fun conversation. It's light. We read some emails. And there's an email in there that I really want to make sure the person who wrote it hears it. It's sort of an apology for uh, something that I the way I described something on one of the previous episodes. And we want to invite you to check out our new podcast, Crawl Space. Episode four is coming out this week, and we go deeper into a story that we bring up in this episode that you're about to hear. You'll know the story when you hear it. It's about our trip to Vermont uh, a couple of weeks ago. And also next week, we're going to put out an interview with a very interesting guy named Todd Matthews. He's the director of NamUs, National Missing and Unidentified Persons System. Here's a very quick clip of something he had to say during that interview. Missing is worse than dead, so I do know that. I, I think humans can deal with the final chapter, we're all going to die. Uh, we, we have a way, a mechanism in your body. Uh, in your mind, we deal with it. You, you grieve for three days, you have to deal with it. It's not easy and you never forget, but you are able to move on. Families that have missing persons, they don't get that final disposition. We are not programmed to not know what happened. It's easier to know that somebody's dead, you visit the grave and it's a natural part of life than to just be absent with no explanation whatsoever. Okay, and let's roll the interview with Aurelia. Thank you very much for listening. Follow us on Twitter. We're on Instagram and Facebook as well. And check out blueapron.com slash missing and get your first three meals free with free shipping. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a uh, it's been a little bit um, in the works having you on the show. We kind of got sidetracked with 
uh, certain things that are going on with the case, but we wanted to have you on really early on since you started to first blog about the case. How did you discover the case? And I'm sure a lot of people ask you that now. Where where are you at with the uh, with the blog? As for discovering the case, that was four years ago on TV. I saw it disappeared, and I only had seen it just once, and that was the, and then I just didn't hear about it for a couple of years. And then I researched a little bit right after Serial came out, and I got mini obsessed. And then months later, you came along. Based on what you saw in the disappeared episode when you first hear heard about this case. How has your opinion on the case changed since then? A lot, because there's a lot more voices on the case, a lot of different backgrounds. You know, there are bloggers, there's James Renner, who I hadn't known when I first watched Disappeared. There's people in the online community who discuss it. I mean, my theory was always the same, but it's like, it's really different when you hear from a lot of different voices, because then you start to second guess you know, I'm not really from, I'm not from New Hampshire. I've never been there, so I don't know what the area is like. Sometimes I hear stories about locals and stuff, people you've talked to, people who just, you know, comment online on Facebook. It's more eye-opening. Was there any part in your writing and your looking into the case that you thought you might be getting in a little too deep? That you no. might have been a little too obsessed? Because you said you were a little obsessed, right? <laughs> no, no. we're all a little obsessed. Yeah, I, d- I became obsessed, but I never got in deep. In deep is me, like, booking an air ticket to New Hampshire and going to the site. That's on another level. Like, I want to do that, but I can't. And also, you know, I have respect, you know. But <laughs> well, that's, your, that's your version of in too deep. Uh our version of In Too Deep might be if you start a blog about the case. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not In Too Deep. When did you make the decision to start writing a blog about the case, about Moore Murray's case? And what, what was it in your head? I know you said that you discovered it a few years before you listened to the podcast. Was it just because you felt that there was the podcast and there was uh, James Renner's blog? Um, and at that time, I believe there was some some unmentionable trolls out there writing about it. Were you just like, I need to be some sort of voice of a different voice, a female voice? I didn't even think about it as a female voice. It's just that I was really glad that somebody was talking about the case. Like you have to realize in 2015, when you came out, um, the year before serial was big. Right. And that's when I was introduced to like true crime podcasts and for like almost a year, like eight months, that's that case of Anand Sayada was the only thing I was talking about online. So I was just glad like something that was serialized was in the picture again. And that was more Murray's case. I didn't expect to write many, many blogs about it, but I just wanted to make a start. Well, the blog entries that you that you submitted are different than what we're used to when we read others or we read emails where people break down the the investigation you took it from a really almost personal or emotional place it's i guess a little emotional because i'm in the same age range that mara was when she vanished so i feel like i could discuss a little bit about that 
I mean, I didn't go through the same life experiences as her. So yeah, it's a little personal. Yeah, and whether it was intentional or not, you were one of the first female voices that people heard because before then it was James Renner, it was Tim and myself, and it was just a bunch of guys talking about what a female might do. And I mean, people were correct when they emailed us or commented on uh, on on the podcast about you know guys you 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 can't possibly know what's going through her mind and it's true you can't um, as a as a male you know a a late twenties male you couldn't possibly uh, <laughs> you couldn't possibly know what's going through uh, a twenty one year old female's mind but what are we missing as men um, that that you can add like uh, like specifically like about like, the case not just in general yeah like what is it that we're missing like um, you know, one thing that we talk about is we don't really understand what it's like to be in fear of your safety because we're men. We don't we don't think like that. We don't go out to a bar, go for a walk down the street at night with my dog. Like, I don't think, oh, I got to be worried for my safety. But as a woman, you maybe have to or at least have to think about it a little bit differently than, than we do. Yeah, it's constantly on my mind anytime I leave my home. What if this person's standing next to me? I don't know, I'm waiting to get a ride home is going to kill me. Or, or what if the car I'm driving, like, you know, I accidentally crashed it, even though I've been, th- been through that before. But, uh, um, yeah, it's something that weighs on my mind. It's a real thing. The first time I watched Disappeared and I saw pictures of that, of her car, I was like, I got chills. I'm like, oh, my God, abduction. You know, it's... Like, it seems obvious to me, so it's like, when you're put, when you're put in tricky situations like that, it's, it raises the stakes, I don't know. And your thinking isn't rational um, all the time, as uh, we actually just experienced recently, which uh, maybe we'll get into in a little bit, but um, do you still feel the same way about the Moramari case? Do you still feel like she was abducted? Yes. Now, one of the things we're going to do in this episode is read some emails, um, and we put the call out there to our listeners a couple weeks ago through Twitter. If you have any questions for us for this episode, please feel free to send them. Um, We got one from someone named Eric who mentioned confirmation bias, the, the concept of confirmation bias and how we've never really named it. But it's essentially when you have a theory or have a thought or something you think happened to Mora, and then you kind of work backwards um, sort of like in the way you just did. So I guess I wanted to read this email, but I also wanted to ask you this question. Do you feel like you're biased in your confirmation? Like, do you feel like that was what you first thought of the case when you saw the pictures, that there was an abduction, and then everything you've heard since then confirms that? Does that mess with that? Or can you see that you're being that you're thinking clearly about the case at this point? Or do you think you are? I can see that you know, encountering the other subjects that you've interviewed. Yeah, it does mess with my head, but I'm still, still hold that firm belief in the first theory. Cause it, I, I just think like with James Renner's theory, it just doesn't apply at all. 
So what you're essentially doing, and I just want to thank Eric for that email because we do talk about this confirmation bias, but we talk about it in a way where we say you're bending the narrative to fit your own theory. Um, yeah. And I honestly didn't know that that was called confirm- <laughs> confirmation bias. Um, so what you're what 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 you're in a sense doing is you're looking at the most logical outcome based on the facts that you've put together and you have the other theories that are there but you're using the same tools to rule those out as you're using to or as you're applying to your theory but they are proving your theory and ruling out the other theories does that make sense i wasn't listening (laughs) but maybe aurelia can answer just say just say that is here just just say this (laughs) That is exactly the way I would have said it, Lance. Thank you. That is exactly the way I would have said it, Lance. Thank you. I was I was talking to her. Mm. Yeah, that that was a little complicated. Um, <laughs> you can say it too. No, I'm just it's it's just different with me. Like the other stuff doesn't apply. But then when this podcast came out, like that's the first time I heard people mention, "Oh, she walked into the woods and she died there." I never even considered that before. And then there's the running away, which is what James likes to say. But and he likes to hold down the 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 pregnant theory. Right, and we've we've brought that up with with James as well about you know that means there's somebody helping her. That means that somebody else is is staying quiet. And in order to do that, the circumstances have to be so extraordinary and severe. And yeah. why is there no evidence of any circumstance that's extraordinary and severe? And what he brings up is the pregnancy and and it's Bill's kid and she doesn't want Billy to be a part of it. And that is somebody forcing their their narrative. Let me let me ask you a question um, as a uh, as a young woman. I'm not going to pretend to be a young woman that came out. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a young woman. No. Uh, let me ask you a question, you being a young woman. Does it make sense for her to be pregnant and still carry tampons and birth control with her? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's still practical. But it doesn't really imply anything that she's just carrying stuff around. I don't know. Gotcha. It doesn't really explain much. It's just tampons and birth control. Yeah. As far as... Dying in the woods, more. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Mora going out and and dying in the woods. Um, she would have had to have chosen to to freeze to death, right? We we were out in Vermont this past weekend and uh, we got stuck in the snow actually, and we needed to rely on the help of the person who was closest to us. Our we were out of service. The car was stuck. And we had to approach a random house. And how odd that it happened to us after covering this case for so long. We were put in almost an identical situation as Mora. The only thing different really was that we were together. There was three of us. And still, we weren't thinking clearly. I think that's important to know. We got stuck in the snow. And then we all said, well, let's keep going forward instead of going back and try to get past this. When in reality... 
what an awful decision that was that we all made. We all agreed on that. So none of us were thinking clearly. And then Chloe, our co our co-host on Crawl Space, she's like, all right, guys, I'm just going to walk up here and go to this nearest house. And we're like, uh, no, you're not going anywhere without us. Like, what are you thinking? So... It's actually, uh, it's shocking how, how not clearly we were thinking, but thinking we were acting rationally. Tim and I were, there were these snowmobile like trail markers, these uh, wooden posts that we just pulled out of the ground, pulled out of the snow and, and thought that we were, we were going to somehow dig the tires out. Like it, we were, we were seriously about 300 feet from, no, we were like exactly 300 feet <laughs> From from the beginning of where the, the this terrible area of snow started, and we had these like little posts, and we were trying to dig out the back tires and trying, you know, and using the whole like, well, rock it forward and backwards. It's like no, we're, like we're yeah. lit. I don't know if you saw the picture on Twitter, but we were. There's no way. There's yeah. the, and then even if we were to push it, it was like this this incline that. We never, ever would have gotten no over. No way. It took Push. us a few, it took us almost 10 minutes, though, to come to the realization that we were stuck. And we missed Brianna Maitland's vigil, her, uh, the 13-year anniversary. We were supposed to be up there in Enosburg Falls. And uh, we ended up uh, getting stranded an hour away from there, trying to pass through the mountain on on a road that was unpaved, but was actually packed with, like, three feet of snow still. And it hasn't snowed it, all that recently, but... Three to four to five maybe feet deep was this snow. Um, it was a way well above the guardrails, and we just didn't know it at first. Yeah, apparently it's the road that they shut down during the winter for snowmobiles, but they don't mark it that it's a snowmobile road, and and there's there's no signs indicating it. And it looks like it just looks like a layer of snow on a road when you drive on it until your car sinks down into it. Um, that's a really long story that, <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it's good. I think the, the audience will be interested in it. Oh yeah. I was going to say, it's a long story to, to show how you don't think clearly, even as two, you know, late to mid thirties guys. Oh, I thought we were twenties. <laughs> I forget all the time. We, we age during this episode. We age, yeah. Um, I thought that I was thinking clearly and I just wasn't. And I couldn't imagine, I, I mean, now I can imagine what it would be like for someone like Mora being a young woman stopped there, like hung up there. We're three smart people. We like to think we're three, we're smart people anyway, individually and certainly together. You put three heads together, that would be better than one person you'd think, but we still weren't thinking rationally. And uh, we, like I said, we had to rely on the kindness of Whoever was around. And so we went to um, the nearest house and we met the Bizarro Westmans. Right. <laughs> the parallel universe Westmans. A couple that welcomed us, helped us out. And if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for them, we would have been walking a couple of miles. Because they were, as they were driving us out to sell service, they were pointing out all the houses that... The only neighbor was a 90-year-old deaf man who doesn't answer his door. Oh a, a former lawyer from Philadelphia who is deaf, and even if he heard you knocking, he wouldn't answer the door. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so, and so these people, and they had no landline, so they had to drive us to cell service, which, which again, we we interrupted their night. They live in Canada, and they were going to drive back to Canada that night. We were lucky enough to catch them with their car running and we, but, but we did prevent them, them helping us prevented them from going back to their home, uh, that night in Canada. 
<laughs> so it, so the, they couldn't have been this nicer. happened that night? Yeah, that happened uh, two nights ago. And I know uh, one of your uh, blog entries, one of my favorite ones, is the one where you kind of go pseudo-missing. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, tell us about yeah. that experience. I just didn't want to go home. I don't know. So I'm like, can I stay over? Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and then, you know, whatever. I fell asleep. And um, I didn't even bring my phone charger. So, But, yeah, I expected, like, the next morning to get, like, a bunch of phone calls, you know, missed phone calls and texts and um when i woke up i checked and it was like chaos bunch of missed calls and all that and my street telling me like where are you we're gonna call the police if you're not here by 12 so it was like damn oh okay so i called my mom eventually and she was really happy to hear from me and then i went home and we had like this like serious talk and um I also, like, I checked on Facebook that my sister had made, like, a post, like, have you seen her? And she put, like, a bunch of pictures of me. It was really surreal. Like, oh, my God. Like, if it went, like, super public, I would have died. But, you know what I mean? Like, calling police, putting your picture on the news, like, Did that's they file? something I couldn't handle. Did they no, file no, no. a missing persons report? No. No, I would have died. But, uh, <laughs> no, it could have happened if I was still not reaching them, you know? Yeah. So, I, I got to experience it a little, because, like, I heard people were crying, and, you know, people were making posts about me, and, you know, they start to fear the worst. It's really real. So much time has been uh, wasted, or, you know, so much time has been has passed, and you just it, it feels even more desperate. When you consider back in two thousand four, yeah. When you when you consider back in two thousand four, and and you're looking at it now, and you you start thinking, well, all the time that they wasted. But when you look at the police dispatch logs, there's a line in there. Uh, has uh, has the 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 person has has the person arrived at the cottage, meaning the cottage hospital? So uh-huh. has has she shown up at the cottage? And it's just funny that they. You know, that's that's the way they were thinking. You know, well, maybe she just walked to the hospital or did someone drop her off at the hospital? Yeah. I wanted to read another email here. We got a uh, an email from Heather. She says, wanted to write you to tell you how much I've enjoyed the show. Started listening about two months ago and I'm now following Crawl Space. Thank you for doing a great job on these. Wanted to ask you about updates on your documentary, which we don't address much on the podcast, but we do get this question a lot. And the reason why we really don't answer it much is because it's hard to answer because uh, we don't have an answer. Um, We have an incredible amount of footage. We have three years of footage, and we are just really starting to dig in and form it as a movie. So... Uh, that's the only update we have. When we have more video to show you, that will, you know, we will put it out there. We're actually hoping to maybe have something to display at CrimeCon in June in Indianapolis. Um, so that is our, our half, you know, that is what we can answer now on that. Um, Heather also asks about James Renner archiving his blog, and she says, I feel he would only do that if he found her. And what do you, what do you have to say about that? I know at face value, because he said, if he found her, then he would do this. No questions asked. Um, I don't think he would have come on our show 
and and said the things he said on if he found her and came on our show and is going to crime con and and is facing these questions i mean he's putting himself he's he's putting his career on the line for for someone who he's now protecting yeah the the quick answer is he has not found her if he had found her uh there is other things going on right now behind the scenes that that it, it it would have been known. We at least would have known about it. We wouldn't be sitting here right now saying, no, he didn't find her. But the answer is, no, he didn't find her. And he also said that he was writing a book, and he wrote the book. The book was based on his experience. His experience, from what he's told us with this, is for the most part over. He wants to, like you said, wants to get out of the true crime genre and, and move into something that is a, a little bit more zen-like. Those were his words. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't it, – it'd be nice. Maybe we're wrong, but I, I don't think he found her either. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I just think he has reached the end with that case. And I, I see he's moving on to things with TV and other writings. But I just think, like, it's, it's over with with him unless there's a huge development. And I think that's fine if he wants to archive the blog because there's nothing more to discuss. He, he was on it for, like, five years. Mm-hmm. What, what more is there to talk about, you know? I'm glad that he did it, actually. Yeah, we, we certainly aren't here to vilify him for archiving his blog, and uh, we, we hope other people uh, don't vilify him for archiving his blog either. Heather also mentions that she wanted to express uh, interest in our take on the Emma Philippoff case or the Elisa Lamb case. And we've actually given our opinion on the Emma Philippoff case on the Nighttime podcast with our buddy Jordan, a, a Canadian podcast. It, really great. We had him on the on this show. I think it was episode 40 or 39. Um, but uh, but if you want to hear, he, he's done four episodes, four or five episodes on Emma Philippoff, and Lance and I appear twice to talk about our thoughts on Emma Philippoff. So you can check that out there. Yeah, and if you have any, if you are interested in Emma Philippoff, he is the the uh, you know he, he is the podcast authority for it. Um, if you want to, if you want to reach out to us to us and ask us about it, we're probably just going to direct you to him because uh, he is a good guy and he has uncovered a lot of really detailed information. The okay, actually, this is a, a decent little parallel. So the CBC documentary uh, about Emma Philippoff's disappearance focused on a suspect, and Jordan actually goes on to have this suspect, this guy named Julian, on his podcast, and really clear the air. And anyone who's listened to that. You're not going to hold Julian as a suspect. You're not going to think he's a person of interest anymore. But this news program really sort of pushed it because, well, heck, it's a news program. They have an hour or so. That's what they do. Similar to the Disappeared episode on this case where they put out there, oh, Billy got this call and he heard breathing and we don't know what it is. And he swears it was Maura Murray. And we still get emails about that. What is that? What is that? Well, the work that we've done and, and with James, it's come up that that has nothing to do with Maura Murray. It's a call from the Red Cross. So you see how things get sensationalized in a quick documentary like that. But you really have to go deeper to find the truth. Right. When you're producing a, an expose like that and people say these things, they're going to be shot in like dim light from a, from a, you know, 
from a, a menacing angle or something with this Hitchcock music behind it. So yeah, when they were showing when they were showing Julian, and I remember watching that and just being like, "Okay, he's he's the villain. Villain. He's right. the one that they're vilifying here." But yeah, once you hear him on uh, Jordan's show, it's. Uh, I mean, he he definitely puts himself in the wrong place at the wrong times a couple of times. Um, but in retrospect, he you know. He never knew. He didn't know what was going to happen. I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would change change it all if he could. And uh, as far as the Elisa Lamb case goes, um, I really wanted to believe there was something supernatural or paranormal in that case, but I uh, don't feel that way. And I and uh, I think the Generation Y did an excellent episode on this. And uh, I know True Crime Garage covered it recently. I haven't listened to that yet, but it does seem to me that uh, that she had. Um, she got herself into that water tank herself. Yeah, and that the video of her in the elevator certainly looks like there's some sort of um, possession going on there. Uh, it's it's a really creepy video. Have you seen it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're like yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you you can you can take a video of anybody on bath salts or you know something and you're gonna think that they're they're possessed it, it looks like somebody on drugs it looks like someone on drugs but that isn't that isn't even my theory or you know i, I think it's more like uh her her uh it was the age where maybe uh, a mental uh incapability was showing and um she ended up where she ended up and maintenance guy locked the water tank afterwards and it, and it makes it seem like she was put there by a ghost and the ghost locked it, but I'm pretty sure that's not what happened. Actually, I'm, I'm 100% sure a ghost uh, didn't lock that lock. Both cases, like, they have some similarities because they were both, like, not in their in their home state or whatever. And, well, one of them turns up dead. But still, it's like, I think about, like, the oh, the dangers of traveling by yourself as a woman. And this is what happens when when you don't look after yourself or whatever. I think what gets most people about that video is that it looks like she's running away from somebody in the beginning of that elevator video. She's looking outside of the elevator and, and kind of like tucked in the corner a bit and she presses every, every button, uh, you know, it just makes it look like those moments in horror movies where they're in the elevator and someone's coming down the hall and, you know, she's pressing the buttons as frantically as possible. Uh, so it, it had its, uh, it had its 15 minutes of, Paranormal fame, but I think it's uh, I think it's a lot more simple. Another email we got here from Jason. He says, based on your extensive research on the case, would you guys walk us through your three most likely scenarios and your percentage of likelihood of each? He says, for example, Mara was planning on getting away for a short time. When the accident happened, she was taken and ultimately killed by a predator who happened upon her possibly from the houses nearby or a car passing or a member of law enforcement. And he puts 50% on that. And he says, number two, Mara always intended to disappear forever for whatever reason, pregnancy, abusive relationship, etc. She remains alive under an, un under an assumed identity. He says 40%. And then he gives 10% of credence uh, for himself to Mara committed suicide. So those percentages were, uh, were Jason's. Um, I don't want to give my percentages, uh, actually, to to be honest. But and and I and I haven't really thought through it enough to come up with 
percentages like that, I would just say that all of them still are on the table. I agree. At this time, I can't put any credence into percentages of any scenario. It's not responsible to put that out there for anyone just joining the podcast to to hear. Um, okay, James Comey. You just set me up. So <laughs> well, see, I got to cut that part and, yeah. then, and then I'll get the joke in. Yeah. Uh, okay. Another email we received is from somebody who prefers to remain anonymous, but it is a legit source. Um, and this is almost an apology, I guess, on my part, a correction, an apology. This email was titled Leek O'Kenny, and it was in reference to the episode we aired called Showdown in Franconia. He says, I'm a close friend. I'm close family friend of the Kennys, and to call them countercultural and to live on a compound is a bit much and a little offensive. It's a farm, not a compound. Countercultural isn't an appropriate word. They're more free spirited, uh, do your own thing on a farm in the sticks, and minding their own business kind of people. Uh, Renegades is not true at all. They had a problem with Bruce McKay due to the real harassment problem that was going on between him and their son. He had a history of harassment, whether it be documented or accounts from those who happened to be there. Everyone lost something that day. We all hurt. Careful wording next time would help. So if the person is listening who wrote that, I do apologize for the for presenting the the Leeko Kenny and the Kenny families in that manner. Uh, so thank you for the uh, correction on that. We got another email here from Lyle. A lot of great questions from Lyle in this email. Uh, so we'll try to answer a couple of them or at least bring them up and see what we can answer. Has the tow company ever been asked why they brought the car to their personal garage? And no, we don't have an answer on that. But we do have a bit of a clarification. This isn't a personal garage that you'd see in someone's home that's connected to their connected to their house. It was a, from what I understand, a garage that was on his property where he performed maintenance on cars and small engines. So small town, he was contracted by the police department to tow cars. They probably were aware that this was a secure location. Lyle goes on to ask uh, a question that we really can't answer. He says, because of Mora, how many people now have a respect and love for the White Mountains? He goes on to say that he was on the East Coast during a business trip, and if it weren't for this story, he would have just gone back home to the West Coast after his business, but he decided to drive by the crash site, and he understood why Fred and Mora fell in love with the White Mountains. And he says that it would be interesting to get people's take on on one thing that has changed people's lives because of Mora. So I think that is a really interesting point, um, how people's lives have been changed because of Mora. And, and it's 100% true. It's happened with us. Um, Aurelia, it may have happened with you. I know you've started writing more because of this case. So it is an interesting topic and something we should delve into a little bit deeper.
so getting back to your blog, Aurelia, um, can you give us a couple of uh, entries that you've written that stand out that you're most proud of? And are there any other cases that you're planning on working on or you're just getting into? I wrote like a year's worth about Mora's case. So it's hard to remember, actually. <laughs> um, I remember um, there's one titled The MMM Men. And I remember it was right after your second spree cast, my true crime addict post. That was good. Another one of the posts that I that I really liked was when you went to that podcast meetup. And who did you end up meeting there? Well, it was it was for the sword and scale. Yeah, so I met Mike, who hosts that show. I met Justin Evans from Generation Y, and and actually met another uh, host. Um, her name is Esther, and she she does Once Upon a Crime. But when I met her, I didn't know that she did that show because we just started talking, and then at some point she revealed like she she does her own show. I'm like, oh, that's you. So <laughs> so yeah. So I, technically, I met three podcast host but yeah it was really cool that was my first meetup ever of that capacity um so you know usually i keep it to the internet and i talk to people about cases but that was the first time like meet someone face to face we got a good a good question here from Brittany. Brittany mentions um the Lori Bruno interview and saying it was uh, controversial uh, talks us about another psychic, um, and uh, and also we we got a question: Have we spoken with Lori Bruno since the original interview with her, which I think was episode seven? Um, we have spoken with her a few other times actually, um, once on camera for the documentary, and once or twice she just cold called me. Um, which is always pretty interesting getting a cold call from a psychic and she just starts rattling into her thoughts right away. Um, but I'm not sure we're going to, we're going to share those interviews on the podcast and we're probably almost definitely not going to get another psychic on the podcast. Um, but, but, uh, Brittany goes on to ask, are we ever going to make episode 18 crossing the Rubicon available again? And the, the quick answer to that is no. <laughs> What's the long answer? No. No. <laughs> That's the long answer. Uh, we, we obviously, we had a problem with this guy, the, the blogger we interviewed, Aurelia, you know, uh, you know him uh, well. And um, actually, I believe you, you, you might be responsible. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but I think you, you introduced him to this podcast. And, uh, and so we had him on because he was, uh, he had some interesting thoughts. He started blogging about the case and then really turned on, not only on us, but on the listeners and on the Murray family in a way that was uh, extremely disrespectful in a way that we had to distance ourselves from him. We got messages from more than a few people on Twitter and emails saying that they were afraid of this person and asking us if he's any kind of threat and, you know, do we know where he lives? Do we know his real name? Things like that. We did not give his name or dress out or knowledge like that out to uh, people who were asking. Um, but it clued us in on us really having to distance ourselves from that person. Yeah, it was a very reckless thing uh, for him to start doing that. 
Uh, and it was the responsible thing for us to take it down. We said that we probably would never take down an episode unless it was an extreme circumstance, and this was. Uh, all that being said, that's about as much time as I want to spend on him, unless you have something to say about him, Aurelia? No. Sounds good. <laughs> I do want to say that we did the episode featuring Lori Bruno. She is a psychic. We did it because um, she offers an alternative way of thinking about the case. We don't subscribe to the psychic angle that what she's saying is fact. She does allow you to think about it differently. And the Murray family uses psychics in their, uh, in, in their search for, for more as well. So we're not going to get into psychics again. We don't need to have four or five psychics saying the same thing about, cold water and shivering and being pulled into a truck you pre-warned listeners that you'd have a psychic on and i remember because I, I that was at the time that you would release it week like every other thursday like each thursday right and so when i heard that i was like because I don't, I don't i don't really like to hear about psychics either but then when i heard that episode it was actually really fun it's just <laughs> like really lively and 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 showy i don't know i just actually enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, one, one more thing on the psychic, which you just reminded me when you said, you know, she was lively, you enjoyed it. Any one of those people that criticized us for having a psychic on, like, I can't believe you guys buy into this. First of all, we said we right from the get go, we never bought into anything, <laughs> but a lot of people criticized it. Every single one of those, those people, if they were sitting there with her when she was doing, doing her thing would have been riveted. Yeah. I don't care what you hear about it after and you start, you know, picking it out and saying you're leading her. She's leading you. Like if you oh were sitting God. there, if you were sitting there in Salem, Massachusetts in her shop and she was she was doing what she was doing in front of you, you would you'd be glued to her. You'd be riveted by what she was saying. Yeah. And uh, and psychics, paranormal um, supernatural things. Th- those were all mysteries, Bigfoot, things like that. I was way more into that before we started this podcast. And now, uh, now that we're do, we do a couple of true crime podcasts, my, my brain, I don't have room in my brain to occupy those kind of thoughts and, uh, mysteries anymore. It's more the, uh, the more grounded things like the Brianna Maitland case or, uh, Maura Murray case that the more you do it, I think you kind of, you kind of realize that magic isn't real. And uh, Elisa, you know, a ghost didn't lock, didn't lock that master lock, you know, but uh, five years ago, or when I first heard about the Elisa Lamb case, like, you know, I was using confirmation bias to say, yes, look, a ghost did lock that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, we were having this conversation uh, the other day and how, how, like, almost liberating it is. And all a little, a little embarrassing because I really want to believe that Bigfoot's out there. I really want to believe that you know these these cycle these paranormal things happen. But every every situation you can find the logical solution to the logical real life solution to. What's your uh, what's your where do you draw the line? Right at paranormal. Like no, I was gonna say I'm I'm not into that stuff. Paranormal, psychics, whatever. Like I just like zone out. But yeah, um, so I, I never apply that in any case I read. I read about like if you know me, I, I just yeah, I'm pretty practical. 
Yeah, it seems there's not a lot of crossover between people who are really into true crime and people who are really into paranormal stuff. And uh, and I didn't really get that until we started this. For the record, I got it the entire time. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess th- that's pretty much it. Before we uh, wrap up, is there any case that, that, you're, uh, that you'd like to feature that that you're uh, you're writing about or I would like to shout out um Annie McCann and I wrote about her case last summer on Detox Radio um just to go into it she was a girl from Virginia and um she was a junior at at a school there and she vanished on Halloween and two days later she ends up dead in Baltimore Mind you, she's this, like, suburban white teen, and she ends up dead in the ghetto. So where can we find this article? DeepTalkRadio.com. The title is Annie McCann, A Death in Charm City. And what is the place where people can go to read your blog? AureliaIsBlogging.WordPress.com. Very good, which we will also put a link in the show notes for that. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.